my world has changed forever. <laughs> you are a man uh, who is prone to hyperbole, you know, to, to dramatic phrases and sentences. But I'm willing to completely accept this because I know that you've had your head stuck in a VR headset for the last week or two. And having had uh, myself a transformative VR experience um, trying out the Oculus at Facebook a couple of months ago, I can 100% sympathize with your feelings right now. I'm glad. And you're absolutely right. I'm an expressive kind of person. Yeah, I think we both are. Together we're kind of a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) The thing is, you know, when I love stuff, I really love stuff. The problem is my my love stuff is all the way up to level 10. Yeah. And so when I get to level 11 or 12, most people aren't calibrated for that. So they just don't get it. And with with VR and particularly development for VR, I think I've gone to, I don't know, 26, 27. (laughs) Yeah, you were the reason I wanted to talk to you about this today. A couple of days ago, you you uh, fired off a tweet storm, talking about the fact that you now you have a PSVR, which you teased on the last episode of Federico. You have a development unit that you've had for a little bit, and that even though you have been an evangelist of VR, you've signed VR games, you've played untold amounts of VR games for an uh, you know a long period of time, that something has changed in your opinion towards it recently. Yeah, absolutely right. The big difference was when I started to develop for it, I wasn't passive anymore. Suddenly I was controlling the VR experience. And the amount of power and flexibility was one thing. But the thing that really shocked me was just how all of the traditional frames that we use for video games, and I use that in the literal literal and figurative sense, are completely gone there there are no signs, there are no waypoints, you're in completely uncharted territory. And the excitement that that generates is absolutely, I don't know, I, I, I don't think I can even compare this to my original exposure to programming. When I first started to make video games, it was tremendously exciting, but I was very young. Now that I've been doing this, you know, I've been in the business for a long time, the difference now is that I respect the medium a lot more. I understand its history and tradition. And I understand that the power of VR, especially from a developer's perspective, is profound. It's world-changing. And I'm really struggling to find the right way to describe this. But just imagine that you're lucid dreaming. That's what is available to you as a developer, the ability to shape any dream you want right before your eyes because you're not looking at it constrained by a 2d screen that exists in your world you are in the world you know you know how the senses work and i'll very very quickly summarize the way the human sensory systems work basically we're we have a gray box in our skulls that doesn't admit any sensory input at all except through electrical signals transmitted by sensory organs like the eyes, ears, and uh, nerve endings in the fingers, and so on. So if you were to stimulate those in an alternative fashion, it would be no different. So that's the appeal of VR, right? 
So what happens is that because the brain is vastly, vastly consumed by processing visual imagery, I think it's half of our brain area or volume rather is taken up by processing the input that streams in through our our optic nerves. Well, if you trick that, you're halfway there. You're halfway to convincing a human being that they are actually in a reality. Now, we all know about the ups and downs of that. Uh, we know about motion sickness. We know that frame rate and so on is important. But the incredible thing is how well it actually works today. And as a developer, when you start to steer that, when you start to put objects in a scene that don't go off screen, I mean, that's a profound thing for me, right? In, in the game demo that I'm working on, I have an object turning into particles, disappearing off the screen, coming back on again. And then I got a VR version of this up and running. And it didn't disappear off the screen because there is no screen. You're in the world. It went off to the right and I followed it into the distance. And then I followed it back. And that was profound. It was like, I, I've just peered behind the curtain. So that that opening up of the world, being present in the world, and being able to control that world are truly world-transforming events. It sounds like as interesting as this is, you know, for, for the way that you consider developing a game, that that would add a lot more complexity. Because, you know, I, I don't know a lot about how video games, uh, how video game worlds are actually created. But let's say take a game, I don't know, like a Grand Theft Auto game or something like that. Does this not increase the amount of work that they would have to do to, to make everything in the world interact, like living and breathing and moving all at one time other than just what is straight in front of the character? Like, does it does it add complexity or is the world kind of its own created living breathing thing thing anyway with a video game to like take the the idea of somebody moving around turning around like they take all of that into account and make this world live on its own anyway or does something like vr add complexity when you're developing this well you bet that there are a whole ton of considerations when you move into vr for example the idea that there could be something to your left or to your right now has to be catered to. Before, you have this canvas. The canvas has defined edges, and that represents the visual experience that you have at any given point. With VR, you as a developer are no longer in control of that canvas. The player is. The player is free to move their head if you've designed the game properly. So let's let's take Grand Theft Auto as an example. And instead of uh, an over-the-shoulder view, we, let's say we're in first-person view, right? Now, even in a first-person game, traditionally, as a developer and as a designer, you have a framed experience and you can control it to some degree. And what will happen is that if the player in a first-person game wants to look around, they have to swing the camera around using a controller. But then what happens is that the entire frame shifts accordingly. Whereas with VR, you're no longer looking at the output of a camera projected onto a screen. You're now in the world. Mm -hmm. so, so everywhere you look, something is happening. Everywhere you look, something has to be alive. And as a developer, 
you have to cater for that. The other thing, of course, is that because in a traditional game, the display is a canvas, everything has to look picture perfect, hyper real almost, in order to convey a sense of reality. Now, with virtual reality, it's actually possible to take some shortcuts because there is such a a step change in actually being inside that world that you are convinced, you know, the the idea that um, you are being deluded vanishes very, very quickly as long as you have a good sense of presence in that world. I've spoken to a few people about this, got some feedback about this online, and and they have said varying things. Some people have said, you can get away with extremely simple stuff. And other people have said, you've got to make extremely detailed textures. But for sure, all of the traditional design problems that you would face in in a game, whether it be GTA or any other game for that matter, whether it be over-the-shoulder or, or first-person view, or even a very detached third-person view, you have to completely reframe the way you think about game design. So, like, I've played some VR games that graphically were more cartoony than others, and they still feel as real as the ones that I've played that were kind of built to be hyper-real. Because it isn't about the the view, like, so much. Like, it isn't about what you can see. It's about how well it's represented. Like, that. that's at least my experience of it, is if it works well and the game works well and it operates in a way that I expect, my brain just kind of accepts its new reality and I go with it, you know? Like, I played a job simulator recently mm. um, on a HTC Vive, and I was, like, just... I think I was playing the game for, like, half an hour. Like, I was just in the world. I was making um, food orders for people. And I was just like totally sucked in and it was absolutely fantastic. I had an incredible time playing the game. I really, really enjoyed it. But it doesn't look real in any sense of the word. Like it's cartoony and even like the the, the graphics are like shaky at best, you know, like the, the, the lines are a little jagged in places. Like it's it's not meant to be this incredibly beautiful world that looks just like ours. It just looks like a fun cartoon. But I was totally in on it. Well, think about what constitutes your reality. Your reality is comprised of electrical signals transmitted through your sense organs into the brain, right? What does it matter where they come from and how they look as long as the experience is congruent and consistent? In fact, one of the reasons many people get motion sickness or VR sickness or simulation sickness, because they're all different types of sickness, but roughly uh, comparable, you know, they have common elements, is because they experience something that isn't congruent with either memory or with their uh, vestibular system in their inner ear. There are all kinds of theories as to why this happens, but some people say that with enough time, you're going to get used to it. So the thing about the reality is that it doesn't matter as long as it's congruent. It could be a completely wireframe construct. Once you're in that world, that is your reality. Of course, there are all the other senses that you've got to uh, cater for as well. Audio, which we can cover later, is a particularly important part of that. And the other thing is, you have to remind yourself about some of the things that we human beings and uh, consumers of entertainment do to suspend disbelief or to increase the... Uh, suspension of disbelief we turn the lights low let's say we're in a cinema you know they don't have lights blaring 
it's considered impolite if you make noise because let's face it you're watching a really powerful scene in the cinema and someone's munching popcorn right behind your head that kind of breaks the spell and so the trick with vr is don't break the spell keep that spell going and of course it's a lot easier to do when every aspect of your visual system is covered by this device so talk to me a little bit about developing for vr and some of the challenges that you're finding because you know if anybody doesn't know you're working on a game right now um, it seems like you've maybe shifted your focus a little bit to really go all in on vr so what's going on here there's an enormous enormous uh difference conceptually because before I was thinking about a frame, and I know I keep banging on about this, but the frame has been, you know, the, the, the frame has become immortalized. We talk about the frame buffer, but that's it. That's, that's the language of video games. Now there is no frame. What do we call it? I mean, we can call it a world. We can call it a reality. We do, actually. We call it virtual reality. So all of the design considerations that you previously have, for example, something as simple as object movement, right? Let's consider one one particular type of really old-fashioned game where a character goes off the right edge and reappears on the left. Pac-Man, for example. Well, that can't happen in VR because everything's got to be congruent and consistent. So where does that character go? So these are some of the design considerations you've got to think about. You, you just can't have the kind of tricks that we used to employ with a traditional frame. The other thing that I have to think about much more carefully is audio. So... Whereas before, you'd maybe play something in a stereo field and if you were really fancy, you had some version of Dolby 5.1 or whatever mm-hmm. in there to, to kind of simulate the spatial positioning of sound. Now, it becomes really important because now it's possible for you to look behind. And in my game, you can look behind and see what's going on. And I'm not talking about doing continuous 360s, but just looking over your left and right shoulders. So... Here's the thing. The visual system actually doesn't cover an, an, an enormous field of view. It Obviously, it's a lot bigger than a traditional screen. It's a lot bigger even than a cinema screen, but it doesn't cover everything. So what makes up for it? Well, audio cues do. And in the real world, it's amazing how effectively people who are visually impaired can navigate the world based on audio cues alone. So the 3D placement of audio is extremely important. Now, some VR devices like PSVR have the HRTF function built in, which takes as input a sound and some coordinates, and then using some extremely complex maths, places that sound in 3D space. And another uh, technique that people are using that I'm going to be looking into is binaural audio. So the way you do that, and you're probably very familiar with this, Mike, but for the benefit of our listeners, this is a pair of uh, microphones that are positioned inside something that looks like a pair of ears, in fact, modelled on a pair of ears. And then what happens is that because of the shape of the ears, sound is recorded differently based on delay, based on how the sound bounces off the ear shapes, so that when it's captured and played back, it's frighteningly similar to how you would experience that sound in real life. So, for example, one of the things that I'm going to do in my game is have um, a voice coming from over your shoulder that indicates the position of something, 
that's really going to be important for placement because that will be your cue to look over your left shoulder or your right shoulder to see where that sound is coming from and then engage with whatever's happening in the world at that point. It's important to say it's important to avoid the term screen, right? Because there is no screen anymore. You can talk about the screen that's on your eyes, but actually you're not even aware of that. You're just thinking about these objects in the world. And that's something that previously would have been absolutely impossible. Just try and map that concept back onto a traditional 2D screen game. It's just not possible. And the PSVR is achieving some of this with that kind of secondary unit, right? That goes between the the PlayStation and your VR headset. It has like a little box, doesn't it, that is for the audio stuff. That's right. It's got this thing called the processing unit. It does other stuff as well, which is pretty cool. And, you know, all of the top tier headsets are really excellent and they're all uh they're, they're all going to be very effective at, at different things but yeah it's very very important to get that kind of stuff right it is really interesting that kind of you you basically have to use headphones for vr to really get the experience do you see that as a negative i do actually um complete sensory deprivation Whilst it will add to the experience, I foresee many times where I'm going to have my wits scared out of me by somebody trying to get my attention in the real world. I mean, and it's not like a thing that I'm like, oh, well, now I won't use VR, but it's it's something that I do consider a negative that I will <laughs> be experiencing, that, you know, my fiancé will come into the room to try and get my attention, and she will terrify me to my core by touching my shoulder. You know? Um, and there's kind of no way around it. We're just going to have to live with it. We're all going to have our life expectancy cut a little bit because we're getting scared all the time. Yeah, so if you think notifications can be slightly annoying when you're doing stuff on the phone, imagine the notification in a VR system, man, congruent that might be. An avatar of someone you know pops into your field of view while you're playing games. Says, hey, I need to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, so that, the, the you know what, that is... actually might be a better way. You should have to send me PlayStation messages <laughs> instead of terrifying me. <laughs> <laughs> well the other thing is you know people have been coming up with these headphones that um are noise cancelling except for the human voice have you heard of these i haven't so that might be a potential solution so you can hear you might not necessarily hear footsteps but if someone calls you then you'll hear that through the the the, the otherwise noise cancelling headphones i might look into some uh, open back headphones because yeah, that that might just work well. Because open back, the, everybody can kind of hear the audio a bit, but they let in sound from the outside world. I might look into that. That might that might be a good a, a good uh, temporary solution to this issue. So, mm. what other things are you finding interesting or, or challenging whilst looking at VR development? An interesting thing for me particularly is the process of development. Because way back in the day, I actually used to make developer tools. We're talking about the 80s, so it's a very, very long time ago. But what you did was you made tools that ran on the same medium on which your eventual output would run. Now what you have is a situation where the tools that you're using are creating output for a device that you're not using during development. And the device is not just another screen because that's, you know, tra traditionally what we used to do as developers is cross-assemble or cross-compile. And that means 
writing code on one system that's meant to run on another. And that just made it easier to debug because if your target device happened to crash, then you didn't lose all your source code and you're able to get up and running again by rebooting the target device and cycle times are very quick. The difference now is you're developing on the one hand, so I've got a couple of monitors on my left-hand side for uh, Unity and for Visual Studio for editing scripts. And on the right, I have the PlayStation 4 development kit and the PSVR headset. So I'll make a change, okay? And bear in mind that changes are harder to project so you're kind of guessing almost at some of the changes that you're making because you don't see them appearing in the scene view in Unity because the scene view in Unity will give you a rough idea of what the display is going to look like. But with VR, all bets are off. So then you'll run the thing, you'll run your your build, your game, whatever it is, and it will squirt down the pipe to the development hardware. And it will start running. You'll have to put your headset on now. And now suddenly you're in a completely different environment, which is not related to development. So, for example, let's say I want to move an object much closer to the camera. Let's say I want to move it so much so that it's gone behind me. Well, I'm not going to be able to see that when I'm developing on a traditional 2D system. So I'm going to have to put the VR headset on just to see that. So this break between the two types of system is much more dramatic than any we've experienced before. I think there there was one person in particular who said that this is where uh, pair testing comes in quite well. So somebody sitting there with a VR headset while a coder is working on stuff. I don't buy that. Um, And the reason I don't buy it is because it's the developer who knows the change that they've made the best. And for extremely rapid turnaround, you want to be able to see the results of that very quickly so that you can iterate quick. Otherwise, you'll just forget about what you were working on. You know, there's a state change for you mentally. And it just it just breaks up your flow. So the only way around this in the future is going to be VR headsets that are extremely comfortable, extremely lightweight so that you barely notice that you're wearing them, extremely high resolution because, hey, I've got two 4K screens here and when I put the headset on, you know, suddenly it doesn't look as good as these 4K screens. And especially for creating worlds and editing worlds, these tools are going to ha- actually have to run in VR. So whatever game creation system or VR system you want to create, those tools will actually have to run in VR for it to be effective. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, right? that you will be just kind of coding, like having this big floating window (laughs) with code in it in VR. But how else could it work really in the long term? I think it, like as you were saying all of this, before you kind of said that that's what you believe, it's like, well, that makes perfect sense that that there would be some kind of VR development tool in the future, however that might end up working out. Yeah, and I I think some people are already working on such tools. I know Google are doing stuff um, for for VR that's very tool-based. I'm pretty sure all of the major VR players are working on these tools right now. I'd be amazed if Unity weren't already on this, you know, like a rash and uh, Unreal as well. Anybody who's doing anything in VR now is going to have to think along those lines. I mean, at the moment, for example, if I want to move an object, there are a number of ways I can do that as a developer in Unity. 
I can directly type in coordinates into a properties box or I can select the object in the scene and move it around using the mouse and keyboard or I can use the device that I've got which is basically a 3D mouse and I can just pick it up and drag it around and, and position it accordingly. And if I know that my camera is placed where my head's going to be then it's, it's reasonably easy to get that working. But if you're in VR you'd think, okay, well, I want this object just behind my left shoulder. I keep going on about the left shoulder. I don't know why. But it's behind your left shoulder, this object. That's where I want to move it. In VR, what you do is you'd use your move controller or your Oculus Touch or whatever, and you'd grab this object, turn around, and drop it. You know, position it exactly where you'd want it, and it will be exactly as the player will see it. And then there's no um, discontinuity at all between what you're creating and what the end user is going to see. So I'm absolutely convinced that's going to be happening very soon. It's got to, otherwise it becomes really laborious. One of the things I've noticed while developing that's really irritating is that cable. You know, no, mm. ma- <laughs> no yeah. matter how I position yeah. it. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I haven't really gone into too much detail about it yet, and I will later. That I've spent some time with the HTC Vive now, um, as well as the Oculus, and the cable problem is significant with the Vive because of the movement. Because you're able to move, which some people say enhance the play. I find it kind of degrades it because you actually trip over the cable, and you have to be aware of the cable. Mm. So I don't think it's a great experience, to be honest. Yeah, so that's got to go away. It's got to be wireless as soon as it possible. It will, right? I mean, like, yeah. it's inevitable, but it's too difficult right now. Yeah, there's way too much data needs to be transmitted. I don't know what they do to, to fix that. I mean, it's the kind of thing that requires an extremely high density feed. And like, my thing is, it's possible, and there are systems that are running, but it's too expensive. Hmm. It's, it's probably that, the way that I, I, I expect it is. It's just you can't you can't sell this to people for five hundred dollars, you know, for it for it to run wirelessly. I guess because we're just in version one right now. Right, and here's the other thing that I'm finding um, a little bit difficult is the resolution. I'd really like much much higher resolution so that I'm experiencing the equivalent of Retina in VR. And that just isn't there yet. And I think that will go away too. You know, eventually you'll have 4K per eye or whatever it's going to take to... Actually, probably you'll probably need more than that, won't you? Because the whole point about Retina, as far as um, Apple's description of it went, was the device had to be held a certain distance from your screen. Sorry, from, from your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, these screens are very, very close to your eyes, so I would imagine they're going to have to pump out a hell of a lot more pixels. Yeah, they will be super high resolution. They're going to have to be because they're right yeah. in front of our faces. And then that dramatically increases the demands on data, which makes it harder to squirt wirelessly. So that's going to be an issue. I think at the moment, as, as you rightly say, audio is a big problem as well because HRTF is good, but it's not perfect. So we'll need a really, really good solution for that. And as you say, the very real issue of being interrupted, because that's the final thing, isn't it? You put that on, that's it, you're gone, pretty much. So that's going to need to be fixed as well. And the cable is an interruption. It is. 
It is. I'm always aware of it. And um, especially when you're developing. I mean, I guess when, when you're just playing, you're only thinking of one thing at a time. But when you're developing, you're constantly putting it on, taking it off. That's the other thing. You know, just constantly putting the thing on and taking it off is it's all right you know it's a reasonably good experience with psvr but i wear glasses <laughs> and no matter how careful i am i always find a way of snagging it especially when i'm taking the thing on and off often and i guess the other thing is some kind of dynamic optical system as well but that's going to be really expensive because here's my problem i'm short-sighted and i'm long-sighted and it's just a little of each but it's enough that when I wear my glasses for distance, and PSVR will accommodate those very comfortably, I was surprised at that, then I can't see stuff that's close to me very clearly. It's all blurred. But if I put on my uh, computer-used glasses, then I can't see stuff off into the distance, which kind of, uh, I, I think, makes the experience a lot less believable. And obviously, I'm not going to wear my reading glasses or no glasses, because then everything's blurred. So that, I don't know how that's going to be fixed. But I guess firing a laser straight to the back of your eye might be one way. Sounds sounds safe. Sounds nice and safe. <laughs> what occurs to me is that people have got so much invested into traditional game design techniques. And you have so many studios around the world who are set up to create content based on traditional game design techniques and game design tropes that it's going to need very independent, very free-thinking people to overcome the inertia present in that. Because I can see a steady stream of very traditional games that have just been shoehorned into VR, and that, for me, is not going to be what VR is about. I worry that traditional games shoehorned into VR might make people who are otherwise interested, you know, the the... I guess the casual, um, more mainstream audience, they're just going to look at it and go, meh, this is just like like the game I've already played, but a bit more 3D, you know? <laughs> so that concerns me. I think it's going to need stuff that's specifically tailored for VR, that's been created ground up for VR. I think super, something like Super Hypercube is a really good example of that. First time I saw that, that absolutely blew me away. And I suddenly realized, oh, yeah, this is the point of it. And that makes perfect sense. On other occasions, you can have games that are seemingly traditional, but that have been so polished for VR that they're just fantastic to play. A good example of this is Battlezone, which I think is one of the most polished VR titles out there. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to playing. You could argue that the original Battle Zone was very much a VR title. You know, you kind of stuck your eyes into this um, binocular-style scope in the arcade machines, and you were kind of in this vector world. So it was, it was almost as if the original was kind of giving a nod to the future in that respect. And the, the one that Rebellion have done, I think, is going to be one of the best examples of how to do VR right, even though you're using... Uh, traditional game design as a basis for that. So it's safe to say you are all in. You're an excited man. Hugely. Hugely. Because here's the thing. I'm not a great game designer. I'm not even a good game designer. I think 
I know good design when I see it. I think I know a good game when I play it. But VR is a blank slate. No, it's not blank slate. See, a slate is a 2D object. It's a blank reality. And as a developer, and here's the thing, I'm a developer. I'm not a designer. As a developer, that gives me license to create new design principles that have not been set yet. And as long as... Here's something interesting that um, Liz England said, uh, one of my favourite designers out there, that every rule that she previously considered was focused around making games fun. And she said, now, how that changes in VR is that the primary consideration is no longer fun, but comfort. And I think that's spot on. If you get the comfort right, then you've overcome the first barrier, which is breaking the spell. Because if you're uncomfortable, you know, it's like someone munching popcorn behind your ear, or worse, shaking you violently while you're watching a film. And that's not going to be much fun. So if you, as, as a developer, can be excited by this and not feel any ego around design principles if you can chuck all that out the window and it's easy for me because i was never a good designer to begin with then it gives you enormous license as long as you put user comfort at the top of your list of priorities to create new rules to do things that people haven't done before to to invent interfaces that haven't been invented before and as new techniques and new hardware comes along to be able to utilize those for even greater presence because at the moment getting visual presence is becoming i guess reasonably straightforward with the higher end devices but working out ways in which the hands can be present is still something that's very much going through mounds of iterations by a lot of developers and it doesn't have you know the first thing people think about when they get these controllers is oh yeah we can have a gun really is that the limit of your imagination Okay, maybe there are some instances in which that would be fun. But there are so many other things we can do with our hands. And I'm really excited to see how people are going to be able to use these touch devices to manipulate objects in the world they're actually in. Of course, there are issues with that. We still don't have sensory feedback. You know, haptics are not evolved enough. It's not like the fingers will stop closing around an object that you look like you're picking up. But it's amazing how quickly you can adjust to that kind of thing. After all, there are people who we know about who aren't using virtual reality who face exactly these problems today. People like amputees who have prosthetic limbs, even bionic limbs now, who are able to work out the exact amount of pressure to use to pick up a real-world object. So people can adapt to a virtual environment and i think those problems are going to become much less limiting as people as players become used to playing in vr not just developers building this stuff but players playing it as well 